It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. Carry it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Maybe on down the top. Bell breaks a tackle. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, get yourself up to 100 bucks off your very first purchase when you use the promo code OVERTIME after downloading the Vivid Seats mobile app. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason, and it is the middle of the week, which means it's time to talk to the great beat reporter from the New York Daily News, Mr. Manish Mehta. Manish, what's going on, sir? How you doing, Scott? How you been? Oh, it's been a weird week, Manish. I certainly never expected Jamal Adams canceling a weekly radio appearance to be any kind of story, but that is something that a lot of people are talking about now. He has decided he is no longer going to do his weekly spot with Maggie Gray and Bart Scott on WFAN. The fact that the team is 0-3 is what makes this look bad because Jamal Adams is somebody who is not shy. He talks to the media plenty, so that's not normally an issue, but... When you cancel a weekly radio appearance, when the team is 0-3 out of nowhere, when you committed to do this for the whole season, the perception is going to be that you're running and hiding. I'm not saying that that's what he's doing, but the optics are not great on this. Well, I'll say this. Uh, If Jamal Adams did not talk to reporters at all, if he had done, ironically, what Bart Scott uh, tried to do uh, at the tail end of his jet career, which was to have all his teammates not talk to reporters because he was unhappy at the criticism, then I would take issue with that. Uh, but he is not doing that. He, he speaks after games <clears throat> like he's required to do. Every player is uh, required to, to speak after games, win or, win or lose. He speaks during the week. Uh, if you need to get him uh, alone during the week, he's been very uh, amenable to that throughout his career. So, so I don't think it's an issue of account- accountability <clears throat> per se. Because, again, he is speaking throughout the week to media. He's just not speaking uh, on the radio for 15, 20 minutes once a week. Uh, I think part of that uh, is the fact that he does not like losing. He does not like discussing losing. Now, he does it, like uh, as I said, during the week. But I don't think he wants to do it more times than he has to. Uh, the only issue that I took uh, with the decision was that uh, he made a commitment at the beginning of the season uh, if he did not want to renew, because uh, he was on last year uh, on that show, if he did not want to renew the contract uh, in the off season, completely understandable. Uh, but the fact that he did start it, uh, you know, I just think that he should go and finish, you know, his commitment for the season, and then and then part ways if he wanted to do so after the year. But I don't think it's about. Uh, being soft, if you will. I certainly don't think it's about not being accountable because, again, he is talking about it. Uh, I, I did, again, think it was a bit ironic that Bart Scott, of all people, was talking about this when he <laughs> he, he actually did not talk to reporters uh, in the tail end of his career with the Jets because uh, you know, he was banged up, the team was losing, he didn't want to discuss it. So, 
Uh, you know, just an interesting take coming from him. Uh, I, I'll say this about Maggie Gray. She's a professional, always has been a professional. She asks tough, fair questions, and uh, it's unfortunate that she won't get that opportunity to to do that with Jamal for the rest of the season. Yeah, this is all about appearances. Obviously, if the team was 3-0, and nobody would care about this. The reason that this became a story is because they're 0-3, and so people look at the perception and they say, well, here's the guy that's supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the face of this franchise. He's the one who's always out there talking, and now he doesn't want to talk anymore because things got a little difficult. So that's something that I think will be rectified if the Jets start to win some games. And if they're going to win games, they're going to need Sam Darnold to help them do that. Manish, right now it seems like there are a lot of things that are trending in a positive direction in terms of Darnold being able to return for that Eagles game after the bye week. Where are we with Darnold right now? Everybody in the organization has been led to believe that uh, he is on target to play uh, against the Eagles. It's it's remarkable. I'm, look, I'm not a doctor. I, I can't tell you this is unusual or, or not because I've heard so many stories about people with mono and such a wide range of recovery times that, yeah, a month seems like it's pretty quick, but maybe he didn't have a you know a really bad case of mono. Uh, all I know is that neither the New York Jets, the New York Jets medical staff, uh, nor Sam Darnold and his family would ever jeopardize his long-term health, uh, you know, to, to play in a football game early in the season. Uh, so if he's not fully healthy, he wouldn't be out there. They seem to think that his spleen is shrinking at a good enough rate that when he takes his final exam, if you will, uh, on Monday, that the spleen size will be uh, small enough where he won't be jeopardizing you know, himself and exposing himself to potential severe damage or any real damage i should say so you know unless something changes over the next five or six days he's on track to practice uh on on wednesday and that's really when the you know the the true preparation on the field begins for the eagles wednesday thursday friday practices uh the big question that i have is his conditioning uh, he's saying that this week he's beginning light cardio i don't know if that means a stationary bike maybe some some light walking but he, he doesn't even know to this point if he's going to throw yet this week. Uh, that's the one concern that I would have from a football perspective. Uh, will he be in, in shape, in football shape, to, to play in a four-quarter game uh, on the road uh, against probably a desperate team? We'll see what happens with Philadelphia against Green Bay on Thursday night. But it's a daunting challenge, I think, from a health perspective and conditioning perspective, I should say. Uh, I don't know what kind of Sam Darnold we're going to see if he does indeed start in Philadelphia. Is he going to be a little sluggish, a little rusty, just because he hasn't played in three and a half weeks? Who, who's to say? Who, who really knows? But, uh, but I, I would say for certain that if there's any doubt at all that he is not physically ready because of you know, the condition of his spleen, uh, they are not going to play him. He's not going to play. His family won't allow him to play. The doctors won't allow him to play. So uh, I know some people are saying, well, this seems pretty rushed. And I don't think they're rushing this at all. I don't even think they're fast-tracking this at all. I think they're kind of responding to what his symptoms are, responding to what the test results are, and uh, you know maybe his condition suggested that you know, he could come back and play in a football game in, in four weeks. And who am I to say that they're, they're rushing it? Because uh, I think it's irresponsible for anyone to suggest that you know they're trying to hurry this along because they want to win football games. I don't think that's the case at all. 
it seems like they are planning on him being there because they did release David Fales, and we're going to get to the corresponding roster move in a second. But why would you release David Fales already if you weren't strongly suspecting that Sam Darnold was going to be ready for that Eagles game? I suppose they could always go back and re-sign David Fales again, but it seems like a move you would make if you're fairly confident that Darnold's going to come back, right? Exactly. I mean, that, that was their telltale sign. Now, nothing is definite, and I'll credit Adam Gase for saying that he didn't want to definitively say that Darnold was going to be the starter in Philly because something, as he said, weird could happen, and he's not a doctor either. So you don't want to say it's absolutely going to happen, but that move, releasing fails, is a good indication that they're, they're fairly confident that Darnold will be ready. And if for whatever reason something weird does happen, as you just said, they could bring back David Fales. David Fales is not going to get signed, uh, to, you know, to any other team in, in the next week or so. So, uh, but I think that again, just making that move initially uh, is a you know a strong indicator that they believe that uh, Darnold is on track from a medical standpoint to play in a football game. And and you know, as I said, I don't think they're t- taking shortcuts here. I think they did the right thing. They did the proper thing. They went through the proper channels, and uh, his condition. Uh, will allow him to play. Uh, you know that's what they believe as of right now. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. One thing I want to talk to you about that you wrote about at length and I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I thought you had an interesting perspective on it, especially since during the off season you were very much pushing the idea that Sam Darnold was going to help the Jets go up against the New England Patriots and press them this season. And it was something that a lot of us felt. I know that I'm a big believer in Sam Darnold as well. The idea that Sam Darnold is going to be this magic elixir that is going to fix everything, not only for Adam Gase, but for the Jets in general. I think there's this perception that an awesome quarterback can paper over a really poor roster or a roster that's at best mediocre, which would be the case with the Jets. I would say that they're poor, but if you want to argue mediocre, you can, I suppose. Drew Brees is somebody that's going to the Hall of Fame. He's one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. Half of his career, he's had records that were 500 or below. A quarterback can help make up for a lot of bad roster moves, but he in and of himself is never going to be good enough to win it all or to carry a team to a great record. I suppose if you really want to argue that Tom Brady and Peyton Manning have done that to some extent, but those are arguably the two greatest quarterbacks of all time. I think the idea that Sam Darnold was going to be somebody that was going to make up for all the other misgivings on this roster was a little bit foolhardy from jump, and maybe now people will realize that. I just hope that when Sam Darnold comes back, Jets fans don't look at him as the guy that they're going to put all their hopes on to rescue this season in terms of being able to get them back to nine wins or whatever it is and some impossible feat, because if they do that... I think that they're putting way too much pressure on a guy who they should be just looking at as somebody that they want to see grow and take that next step. I completely agree. And uh, I I might disagree if we were having this conversation in 2022 or 2023 when Sam Darnold is, you know, three, four years into his career. But uh, he's not an elite quarterback uh, in 2019 with four career wins. He's got an incredible amount of potential and promise. I think he's headed to becoming an elite quarterback, but as of week five in Philadelphia, he is not an elite quarterback, and you cannot expect him to cover up for a lot of deficiencies that we have seen up close and personal over these first three weeks. Uh, You had mentioned Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Perhaps 
masking a ton of deficiencies on their teams. Absolutely true. Uh, I I will also point to Andrew Luck in the beginning of his career. Uh, He took teams that weren't very good, to be honest with you, to the playoffs uh, because of how great he was at such a young age, at an early age. I don't think Sam Darnold is quite there yet uh, you know, into his NFL career. But uh, but there is that narrative that he will make everything better. And I don't think it's just from the fan base. I certainly think there's a segment of the fan base that believes that. But there's a segment of people in the locker room, including the head coach, who I think are expecting a little bit too much from Darnold uh, right now, just given all, all of the circumstances in terms of how the team has looked in, in the three weeks. Uh, and uh, given the fact that he's probably not 100% healthy, even if he is going to play in Philadelphia, again, from a conditioning standpoint. So there is a danger there. Just speaking to a couple players after the the Patriot game, there's this hope that he can come and rescue the day, and that's just that's not fair. It's you know it's not realistic. It's certainly not fair to put that kind of pressure on Darnold. And I'm not saying putting put Darnold in a bubble. You know, he's a big boy. He's only 22, but you know he's he, he's he's a big boy in that in that he can handle the responsibility. I just think it's unrealistic to ask this guy to be a hero uh, after we've seen a lot of you know breakdowns outside of the quarterback position in these first three games. Uh, I, I just don't. It's not realistic. Now, could it happen? Could he save the day? Sure, I, I guess it, it's possible. And now it's daunting over these next three games with Philly, Dallas, and the Patriots again. But uh, the schedule on paper lightens up, but it it might not actually lighten up as much as maybe we thought a few weeks ago because Jacksonville seems a little bit better with Minshew, and the Giants certainly seem better with Daniel Jones, and who knows what uh, what lies ahead uh, beyond that. But I I, I just think it's wrong. Uh, Maybe wrong is not the right word, but I just think it's it's just – it's not – it's a fairy tale world to expect everything to be fixed because Sam Darnold is coming back. Uh, I don't believe that's going to happen. I think they'll be better on offense because I think he's, you know, the best quarterback, of course, on this roster. But uh, you know, expecting miracles is foolhardy. As I pointed out on yesterday's podcast, even Aaron Rodgers, who everybody would agree is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, couldn't lift the Packers to a winning record last year. And that's because the roster just wasn't that good. So no matter how good Sam Darnold is, there's a limit to what he can do. This Jets roster, even before the injuries, if you were being optimistic and giving them every single benefit of the doubt, at best, maybe they were close to middle of the pack. After the injuries, they're nowhere close to it. And so expecting Sam Darnold to be able to lift this team into contention for nine wins, ten wins, on the basis of just him taking that leap in his second year and becoming an elite quarterback seems like way too much wish casting in retrospect now for Jets fans and perhaps for Adam Gase himself. Because if you read between the lines, a lot of what he's been saying in these quotes is that he hasn't had his quarterback, so he hasn't really had an opportunity to showcase his offense. Even in that first game, Darnold was six, so he wasn't at full strength. I hope for Adam Gase's sake that he didn't put all his eggs in the Sam Darnold basket because obviously Sam Darnold's development is arguably the most important storyline of the 2019 season in so many ways going forward as well. However, the fact that the Jets have been this bad, even with a third-string quarterback, it's kind of hard to call yourself an offensive guru no matter who your quarterback is 
if this is the level of performance that you're getting from your offense, right? No, you can't. Uh, 2.2 yards of play, which uh, I don't know if that's the, the franchise low in a game, but it can't be far off. Uh, the reality and the facts are the Jets are dead last in the NFL in scoring, total yards, yards per play, passing yards, first downs per game, and only one team is worse on third down. They're 28th in rushing, 29th in yards per rush attempt. And I, I do want to make this point clear. Yes, he did not have Sam Darnold, a second-year quarterback with four career wins. But that does not excuse him from not playing competitive football. The Jets were not competitive on offense. And if you just look at a small sample size, a snapshot of this week alone, look at this week. The Panthers did not have Cam Newton, a former NFL MVP. What did Norv Turner do? He got a second-year undrafted quarterback who spent most of last season on the practice squad, Kyle Allen, one career start under his belt, to throw for four touchdowns and generate over 400 yards of total offense in a 38-20 road win. Look at the Jaguars. They lost their a Super Bowl MVP in Nick Foles, their big-time free agent signing. What did John DiFilippo do? He got a rookie six-round quarterback, Gardner Minshew, in his second career start, throw for two touchdowns in a primetime win. Look at the Steelers. They lost a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger. What did Randy Fitchner do? He's their, he's their uh, offensive play caller. He got a second-year, third-round pick quarterback, Mason Rudolph, to throw for two touchdowns and take a fourth-quarter lead before the Pittsburgh defense gave up a game-winning touchdown in the final minute to lose that game. All three of those instances were offensive coordinators turning guys who aren't blue-chip players, inexperienced quarterbacks, and having them play competitive football. Two of those teams won. One of those teams lost in the final minute. I know they weren't playing against Bill Belichick, but that does not excuse the slop that we saw on offense uh, against New England. And, and a big part of that falls on the play calling. It falls on Adam Gase. If Christopher Johnson is selling everyone that this guy's an innovator, quote-unquote innovator, and this guy's quote-unquote coaching football to where it's going, then you need to expect better than 2.2 yards of play, 105 yards of total offense, the, all I heard after the game and the day after the game, so on Sunday and Monday from Gase, was how they were behind the sticks on third downs. Well, part of the reason, a big part of the reason they were behind the sticks on third down was because of the terrible play calling on first down. They ran the ball 13 times on first down, more than twice as much as they threw it, six times. Those 13 runs resulted in 30, 30 yards, a lot of Le'Veon Bell into a brick wall. I understand his offensive line isn't great. I totally get that. But that game called for creativity, ingenuity, outside-the-box thinking. He coached like he didn't want to play, play to win. He coached safe. He coached unconventional. He kind of coached to keep it as close as possible. Punting on fourth and two with 244 left in a two-score game, that's giving up. That is the epitome of giving up on the game. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. There's no question that Adam Gase has not done a good job so far. And I'm willing to give him a little bit of rope for the reasons that we talked about because it's hard to fully judge the guy who is brought in to work with Sam Darnold when he's working with his third-string quarterback. And it's only been three games, so it's a small sample size. 
He's not going to get fired in season. I think we all know that. But I want to know if he's going to be able to turn this around with or without Darnold because even if Sam Darnold didn't come back, this is not going to be acceptable throughout the rest of the season. I'll allow this excuse for a few games, but he has got to get this offense in order no matter who the quarterback is if he wants to be judged in a positive light at the end of the season. Do you think that if something like this were to continue with Darnold, now I don't expect Darnold to be this bad, but if he doesn't get Darnold to where the Jets were expecting him to be, or at least relatively close, could it be a situation where he's on the hot seat after only one season with the New York Jets? I think a lot of people think that there's no way he's getting fired at the end of the year, but is there a scenario where that could happen? I don't think so. Uh, I would advocate against that unless something catastrophic happened, uh, you know, outside of football, if something off the field happened, you know, I don't even want to, uh, you know, venture guesses into what that could be. But from a football perspective, uh, I don't believe that the Johnsons would ever eat the money that they would owe a, a coach uh, by firing him after one season. Uh, and even taking the financial element out of it, uh, you don't want to become what the Cleveland Browns were, you know, a decade ago, in which you're, you're recycling coaches every year or two. Uh, you know, what I'll say about Woody Johnson, I gave him credit for this, is that uh, by and large, he's given his his uh, head coaches uh, a fair amount of time to, to right the ship if things were going wrong. Uh, I, I don't think that Woody would ever sign off on uh, firing a head coach. You know, Christopher Johnson is in charge for now, but everything runs through Woody. He's the owner of the team. Uh, he would, uh, uh, I think he would uh, absolutely, uh, again, barring something catastrophic off the field, I think he would absolutely uh, disagree uh, strongly uh, in terms of, you know, cutting co- the cord after one year. And, and I wouldn't do it uh, unless they go on in 16. I guess if they go on in 16 or 1 in 15, uh, that that's possible. I, I don't foresee that happening. Uh I, I want to see how Adam Gase responds to more adversity, uh, assuming that there's more adversity, because I don't think they're running the table and finishing 13-3. and three. But if there is more adversity, he, do, he does need to change specific things about his leadership style. And I know you and I have talked about you know, him throwing other players under the bus and not accepting responsibility. Uh, the pattern that I have seen up close over these last three weeks is that he will throw players under the bus, blame others, and then get criticized for it, and then 24, 48 hours later, he'll walk back back uh, a little bit. Uh, hopefully that doesn't happen again. Hopefully from the jump he accepts culpability for whatever's going on and doesn't point the finger at, at his players, his offensive line, whoever it may be. I don't know if that's a, a character trait that he can change. Uh, I think he needs to change that if he's going to be successful. But uh, that, along with the, the poor decision-making in the game, uh, regardless of who the quarterback is, that has to improve as well. But uh, I don't think that he's on the hot seat. And again, barring something weird, uh, I don't think he should be on the hot seat after this year. Firing a coach after one year, you know, I, I, I just don't. I, I don't think that's a good way of conducting business in the NFL. Uh, you know, if Sam Darnold really regresses. I, I guess it's possible, but what does really regressing mean? Does, does that mean he's going to throw 20 picks and only 10 touchdowns? It's got to be something that's just not really realistic, uh, I think. So I don't think he's in, in any kind of jeopardy. Uh, you know, full disclosure, do I think that Joe Douglas would like to hire his own head coach? Yes, I, I think I think 
that's absolutely the case. But uh, I don't think he's going to get an opportunity to do that after 2019. Uh, you, that's why it'll be interesting to see how the remainder of the season uh, unfolds. Uh, I, I just don't want to hear any more excuses. I've heard so many excuses. It's, we're not even out of September yet. I've heard excuses about injuries, about illness, about the, maybe the, we don't have good players and this and that. And all I heard in the off season was how great the off season was in, in getting Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley and Jamison Crowder, drafting Quinn and Williams, you know, all of these great things to upgrade the offense. And now suddenly you know, the, the offense isn't good enough or the players aren't good enough. There's always an excuse. And, you know, I've talked to enough people who have worked with and played for Adam Gase, uh, you know, over the last, whatever it's been, six months since he got hired, to know that you know, his M.O. has been to blame others. And he's rarely, if ever, wrong. And, again, maybe that's a personality trait that will, won't change. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and hope that it does change because he is a smart guy, from a football standpoint, he's got creative ideas, and I just think that he is a big part of the problem right now, but he can be a big part of the solution, and they can turn things around, but you always hear players say, we got to look ourselves in the mirror. I think that Adam Gase, frankly, needs to you know, prop up a chair, stare in the mirror for a night or two, <laughs> and really take ownership of what he is not doing right and what he has not done right in the past as a head coach because – uh, losing his last six consecutive games, not winning a game since early December of last year. That's not good enough. It's never going to be good enough. And, again, I think the Jets will not succeed if he does not make important changes to himself and how he handles himself, how he conducts his business, and how he uh, ultimately leads this organization. Worth noting that the last time the Jets fired a coach after just one season, it was 1994, and that coach's name was Pete Carroll. Now, obviously a different situation here because Adam Gase has three years of experience as a head coach in the NFL, and Carroll had none at the time. But it does go to your point about having too quick of a trigger, and sometimes that'll backfire on you. want to ask you about some reinforcements that Adam Gase might have for himself in the next matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles after the bye, however, we know about Darnold and how he's trending in a positive direction. Three other players, it sounds like, are probably going to play as well. Quinnen Williams, C.J. Mosley, and Demarius Thomas. Where are we with that? Yeah, I think uh, based off of what Gase has said, those three guys will play. <coughs> Excuse me. Those guys will play against the Eagles. Uh, the important guy, obviously, is C.J. Mosley. Quinn Williams certainly would help that defensive line as well, but Mosley's the guy that you really need back. And uh, it looks like, uh, you know, barring some kind of setback in practice next week, that he will get be back. Uh, hopefully it's not too soon because groin injuries tend to linger, like hamstring injuries if they're not fully healed. And the last thing you absolutely need is for him to aggravate that and then miss another few weeks. But I think they've been cautious uh, about it. It really helps that the bye week came when it did. So they save a game, and uh, you know having him back will, will absolutely benefit Greg Williams uh, because you know I, I don't know if not having Mosley in is a direct correlation to this, but Greg Williams's defense has given up a lot of big plays, uh, 19 explosive plays, 20 or more yards in three games. That's not good enough. Part of that is is instinct with uh, younger players maybe biting on, on run fakes. Part of that is not getting in the right call, the right check. And that is C.J. Mosley's responsibility. So uh, hopefully they can they can limit some of those those big plays that they've given up to this point without him. The Jets have a new wide receiver. They signed him off the Texans practice squad, Vincent Smith. What do we know about him, Manish? 
I remember in the run-up to, to the draft, I believe, that the Jets actually had him in uh, for a, a visit or he was in the building for some reason, uh, maybe a workout. Uh, there's been some contact with him in the past. You know, he's a he's an undrafted kid from a college that I'm going to be honest with you, I never heard of Limestone. Uh, I don't even quite remember where it is. But, uh, you know, tall kid, 6'3", 200 pounds. Is he going to make an impact? No, he's not. I mean, it's good to have some depth. It'd be much better if Demarius Thomas can can give them some juice, give them some life. Uh, Sean Jefferson actually thinks that he's got the, the wide receivers coach. Actually thinks that uh, DT's got you know a, a, a bit left in his tank. We'll see if that's if that's true or not. But uh, he's a guy who I think can fill the role that Quincy Nunwa had. I know it's not it's, it's not good when you you lose a uh, you know your, your third receiver, uh, you know guy who you expected to contribute in a Nunwa, but. You know, I, I don't think the drop-off is going to be that much, to be honest with you. As long as Demarius Thomas is healthy, I think he can provide the same type of production that you would have gotten from Quincy this year. Adam Gase has spoken to the media since the big loss to the New England Patriots, and we'll get to him last. But since you brought up Sean Jefferson, who seems to be quite the character, by the way, and I remember him playing wide receiver, <laughs> so he was fun to watch on the field, and now he's fun to listen to off the field. Some of the assistant coaches had some things to say, including Sean Jefferson. What were some of the notables? Well, he was obviously asked about Robbie uh, Anderson's uh, lack of involvement and frustration. Uh, I thought Jefferson's response was <laughs> was entertaining. He said that Michael Jordan, you know, sometimes didn't get the ball either, and uh, I, I wouldn't ever really think of a Michael Jordan comparison when it comes to Robbie Anderson, but apparently that was the first thing that came to Sean Jefferson's mind. Uh, he didn't reinforce that, look, they're trying to get Anderson more involved in different ways uh, as opposed to the past. It's very similar to what we've heard from Adam Gates really all off season. The proof, of course, is in the pudding. He hasn't been involved. He's, he's been a non-factor to this point. Uh, what I thought was really telling after the Patriot game, and I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle, was... Uh, when Gates was asked about Anderson, uh, or maybe just asked about taking you know more vertical shots, deep shots, why he didn't do it, he he really complimented Gilmore for a second time during the week, calling him the best corner in the league, uh, and he said it's you know their best against our best. Uh, and, and I didn't have the opportunity to follow up uh, with Gates on this, but you know if, if I have a true belief in my best, if I have a true belief in Robbie Anderson, you still take shots. You still give him opportunities, even if he is going up against Bill Belichick's best. You know, this isn't, with all due respect to Stefan Gilmore, uh, he is not Darrell Rivas in his prime. I understood back in the day when Peyton Manning, you know, threw at Reggie Wayne one time in a playoff game because Darrell Rivas was locked up on Reggie Wayne. Uh, Gilmore wasn't all pro last year, but he is nowhere close to where Darrell Rivas was at his peak. So I think as an offensive coordinator, offensive play caller, you don't shy away from players like that. You don't effectively negate your best deep threat because you're worried about their cornerback. I, I thought that was interesting. To me, it just speaks to a lack of faith in Robbie Anderson. He, you know, Gates isn't going to come out and say that explicitly, but that response to me was so revealing, which was, yeah, they got their best guy out there. Well, you just admitted that Robbie is your best guy, so why don't you have your best guy you know, try to beat their best guy? Give your best guy a chance, and that didn't happen. And, and to me, that's really a reflection, I think, on how Gase probably truly feels about Robbie Anderson as a player. 
it speaks to what you were saying before about Adam Gase being afraid to try to win. Yeah, absolutely. He played it conservative. It's it's interesting because that first drive, I I actually thought even though it resulted in a punt, I don't know. If, I think it, was, it may have even been a three and out. I liked the first drive. If you remember it, he tried a wildcat, and yeah, people are going to say wildcat. Well, it's not two thousand and nine. Why are you trying a wildcat? But it's different, right? The so wildcat was used. A play action fake from under center was used. I, you know, that's something that I think that Gase needs to use much more often with. Sam Darnold, uh, I know that Sam likes thrown out of the gun, uh, and they're using him out of the gun a lot, but one of the best tactics and one of the best things that smart offensive minds do in 2019 is put the quarterback under center and use play action. You, you see Tom Brady do it. In fact, you saw Tom, you saw Tom Brady do it on the, the pass where Dorsett got behind the defenders. He got behind the defenders because the two jet linebackers bit on the play action fake. So... I like the fact that he put Luke Falk in that position, under center, play action fake. It didn't work out, but I liked the play calling on that first drive. And then I absolutely hated the play calling the rest of the way. But, you know, whether it was uh, that third and three uh, backwards pass to Le'Veon Bell, which was a horrific decision, or the third and nine screen pass, I think it was to Robbie, that didn't go anywhere, uh, the give up first and, first and ten, or third and ten handoff to Le'Veon, uh, maybe that was on the the second drive, I can't remember, but uh, there were so many dubious play calls uh, from Gase, and I, I don't really think that has much to do with whether Sam Darnold's the quarterback. I know he's going to alter the game plan because Darnold's not in there, but the logic was so flawed, so conservative, so let's let's make sure we don't get completely embarrassed before we get out of town type of mindset. I, I don't, you know, I'm surprised. I, I really think for, you know, for all of what Adam Gase says he stands for, you know, that killer mentality, that go-for-it mentality. You know, he's the guy who said he loves the fact that Belichick runs up the score in competitive, in uh, blowout wins because it's not peewee football. You know, and that's the mindset that he actually had in Miami. He told people privately in that building that, that they were just going to, you know, go full throttle and kick butt on, in games in which they really had an opportunity to do so. And then for him to say all that kind of stuff and, and then call the game the way he called it, I, it's it's a complete disconnect. I just didn't understand it. It was it was like he was playing scared. It was kind of like he knew he had no chance to win. And you know, I've heard some people say, "What's the point in trying trick plays? They weren't going to win anyway." Well, that's a loser's mindset. That's how losers think. You know, winners don't think that a game is impossible to win. They they think the impossible can be possible. They try whatever they need to try to try to win. And if it blows up in their face, then so be it. But not trying something, you know, to spark the team. Anything. You know, it doesn't have to be a flea flicker. It doesn't have to be run and go routes. I know that Gase talked about how futile it would be to you know, constantly call go routes. Nobody's saying, you know, call go routes all game. But try something that's outside of the box. And outside of those two wildcat plays, I didn't see anything that was unorthodox. I thought I saw a very safe, conservative game plan with a heavy dose of Le'Veon Bell either gaining a yard or, or losing five. It just—it was a mind-boggling game plan for someone who's supposed to be an innovator for offense. Leonard Williams, another one who's been mind-boggling so far. Yet, one of the quotes that I saw from one of the defensive coaches coming out of this was that he's very proud of the way that Leonard Williams has played so far. I get that you want to encourage your players and not throw them under the bus, but that seems like a strange quote based on what we've seen so far, doesn't it? 
Yeah, that was from a uh, defensive line coach Andre Carter. Uh, he said that uh, he, as you said, you know, he, he said he was he was proud of the way that Leonard has played, uh, the way that the Jets coaches graded. Uh, they have concluded that Leonard Williams has affected the passer ten different times in three games, uh, affecting the passer meaning quarterback hits, pressures, getting him off his spot, things of that nature. So that's how they're looking at it. Uh, Carter also complimented. Uh, Leonard Williams against the run. Uh, the production needs to get better. I, I think that's obvious. It, it's it's disappointing only because if you remember before he got uh, nicked up in training camp, he actually was playing exceptionally well at the start of camp. Uh, probably the best of anyone on that defense, not just the defensive line. He was playing really well before he, he got sidetracked there for a little bit. And I don't know if that had something to do with it. Uh, when he came back, he was all right. But this is a, you know, I don't have to tell you this. I don't have to tell Jets fans this, but this is a monster season for him. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. The Jets need to make a decision. Do they want to offer him a deal uh, to stick around long term, or are they going to let him walk and hope to get a compensatory pick uh, in 2021? They're three games in. He needs to play much better. If he doesn't play much better, he will not be a Jet beyond this season. I think it's cut and dried. Uh, the other element to this is how does Quinton Williams fare? Quinton Williams has barely played this season. And when he played, he played all right before he got hurt. If he doesn't do anything exceptional uh, as a rookie, does that you know, does that prompt the Jets to say, "Hey, we we can't let Leonard walk. Uh, we we got to keep him around. You know, hopefully, he takes a team friendly deal." Uh, but they have some decisions to make. Uh, they have a, the good thing for them is that they have three months to, before they have to decide anything. But uh, this defensive line has not, you know, hasn't been producing uh the pressure that they they need to uh from the interior because you know from the from the outside we kind of knew that they were going to have issues and even though jordan jenkins is a sack artist by any stretch of the imagination having him out really puts the the pressure on some of these younger guys like langy luvu basham and they're not consistently getting home either so you need your interior guys the leonard williams the henry anderson quinton williams you know you need those guys to to really disrupt the passer, and they haven't done so. And you know, Leonard Williams, three games in, he needs to play better. I think he needs. To, I think he, he's fully aware that he hasn't played nearly well enough. And if that doesn't change, uh, I don't think he's going to be a part of the team's long-term plans. But again, he's got 13 more games to play. Last order of business, Manish Adam Gase did talk to you guys this week. One of the things that he did say was that it's not unusual for him to not have his team practice during a bye week because this is something that a lot of people were curious about when it was announced that the team would not be practicing this week. What was his explanation? He likes to, to regroup, uh, really reset, uh, regardless of you know whether they're 0-3 or this bye week was in week 4 or week 10. Uh, I think he likes to recalibrate and huddle up with his coaches and give his players the week off to rest their bodies, clear their minds, uh, Look, NFL rules prohibit him to have a full week of practice, but in the past, you've seen coaches have one light practice before letting guys go. I don't think there would have been any harm to having a light practice uh, before these guys you know, take a four- or five-day break. I disagree with the idea of not having any kind of uh, you know real walkthrough. It's a bad look, if anything else. You know, you're coming off a... A 16-point loss. You haven't won a game this season. Uh, why, why give uh, your guys a, a mini vacation? Maybe that's more optics than anything else. Do I think that's ultimately going to hurt them coming out of the bye? No, I don't. Uh, I just disagree with the idea of 
not having at least one light practice. Uh, but again, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill Gase for that. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll disagree with it. But uh, ultimately, what matters most is will the players come back fresher physically, uh, fresher mentally, and perhaps most importantly, will the coaching staff figure out how to you know, uh, fix some of these issues. We had mentioned Andre Carter and Sean Jefferson talking. I probably buried the lead because Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach, was the most sought-after guy this week uh, when he spoke to the media because the offensive line has had some some real struggles, some real issues. Uh, you know, I point-blank asked Pollock whether this is going to get fixed. You know, let's strip away the BS. Is it going to get fixed? He said absolutely. I mean, that's the mindset you need to have as a coach, right? Uh, I wouldn't have expected anything else, but – He's confident that they can fix things. I just think that uh, it's a tricky situation for Pollock, for Adam Gase, because there are guys who are not performing up to standard. Uh, I don't believe that Ryan Khalil was playing particularly well. I don't know if that's because he's still kind of working his way back from the post-retirement uh, era, <laughs> uh, if he's still rusty. I just know that he's not playing as well as he needs to play. The communication amongst the group is not nearly as good as it needs to be. Uh, these are five veteran players, a uh, couple guys who are who have been uh, multiple pro bowlers in Kelechi Assembly and Khalil. They should not be playing as poorly as they have to this point. Uh, part of that uh, is production and execution. Part of that is also, also coaching. Uh, you know, you heard Gay say there's some technique and fundamental issues that need to be ironed out. Well, the coach's job is to is to correct those fundamental issues and those those technique problems. Uh, I don't know if they're going to make a lineup change. If they were going to make a lineup change, I think it makes sense to put Jonathan Harrison at center because it's tricky. You want cohesion with the offensive line, but if you throw a new guy in, you might set yourself a little bit back. That's why Harrison makes so much sense because he had worked with uh, some of these guys last year. He clearly uh, has a familiarity with these guys by working with him all off season, so I don't think the move from Khalil to Harrison would have any kind of uh, harmful effect in terms of chemistry. Because the chemistry will be there because Harrison knows these guys and has played with these guys before. I think if you talk about moving other pieces, you might have some issues. Uh, I know they like Tom Compton in the interior. Uh, they traded for Alex Lewis, but I think you know your depth at that position is on the interior. So if you're going to make changes, it's going to be on the interior. The tackle spots are, are, are a little bit tricky. Uh, you know, are you gonna are you gonna you know, move Compton out to tackle? You know, the, the rookie in Dogo has, has been inactive. You know, moving him out, starting at right tackle instead of Brandon Shell, I think that might cause more problems than solutions. So I think if you're looking for any kind of change on the offensive line, the change that makes the most sense and perhaps is the most warranted is the change at the center position. We are going to see if they can make the necessary changes, not only on the offensive line, but all around the team, and hopefully the return of players like Sam Darnold, Demarius Thomas, Quinnen Williams, and C.J. Mosley will help the Jets compete against the Philadelphia Eagles once they get back from the bye. That remains to be seen. For now, Manish, we can enjoy a week off from having to stress out about this team, so... That at least is a positive. I guess the Jets can't lose this week. That's a good thing. Hopefully when they come back, they'll be able to have a shot to compete against an Eagles team that I think a lot of us thought was a Super Bowl contender but has struggled so far, and maybe the Jets can take advantage of that. But we will talk about that next week. In the meantime, thanks so much for coming on, Manish. As always, appreciate it. What do you got cooking over at the Daily News right now? Uh, Like 
Adam Gase's players, I'm going to clear my mind and rest my body and be ready to go when uh, things gear up next week. (laughs) Manish taking some much-needed time off, a smart move. Got to make sure that he's rested up for the home stretch. Don't want to get carpal tunnel. Going to be hard to write articles if he's not in perfect writing shape for the rest of the way. So for now, go ahead and read what he's been writing over in the Daily News. He's got plenty up there as it is, and he's going to have plenty up next week before the Jets take on the Eagles. Follow him on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.